0: Welcome back to Range Anxiety, that epicast of uh, 30 years of mucking around with motorcars over 30 minutes with the inbuilt crackle tune (laughs) due to our constant sound issues. We're back and we're recording a midweek and today I'm happy to announce that I do believe we're finally over them. I said that last time, but we were actually getting pinged in the worst possible way. It was, uh, and by the way, thank you to Devo for Cold War. So it is a little bit cold this morning in Adelaide, and I'm sitting in the Tesla Model 3 and the climate control's on. Still doesn't stop it from being cold outside. It's about five degrees. So yeah, brr, you can feel that. So yeah, we almost had it right last time, but you'll notice in the last EpiCast we had to cut it short, and it sort of stopped in the middle of nowhere about three or four minutes short, because we got this terrible like static came back, and I couldn't understand why or how and uh, had a good look at it all again and uh, I worked it out. It happened uh, because the sun came out. That's right, the sun came out. That's why I'm doing this in the dark. But uh, the sun came out and when I said last time we were parked in front of a big battery, well it is a big battery but it's also a big inverter room as well. So what happens is when the sun comes out and 200 kilowatts of solar panels start going nuts on the roof and then 25 to 30 kilowatts of inverters start humming and buzzing and converting all of that energy into something that can be stuffed into a battery. There's a huge amount of EMI generated, electromagnetic interference, and that is what the shore mic is picking up and going nuts on. Also, the the um, battery housing itself probably isn't earthed well enough. Uh, we'll have a look at that. But yeah, I won't be doing it there in future because I just you know I need to give you guys and girls that. Listen to this. I need to give you good sound. You know, you need to hear my dulcet tones. You don't need to hear it. But yeah, isn't that really weird? We looked at everything. We looked at the Shaw mic and we looked at the recording formats and we looked at what could be doing it. And it, it just at my sound, guys just scratching his head going, I've got no idea what's going on. Because, yeah, they don't sort of teach you that. Uh, beware of um, solar inverters, do they? But just be aware if you're recording anything and you've got solar at home, keep the... Mike, along a way away from it or as your epicast could end up sounding like Stellantis so yeah the booger farmers out there they'll be excited to know that they'll be able to listen to me take the piss out of them time after time uh, without any nasty noises in the background so that's really good and again I haven't really listened back to this yet but you can uh, be sure that I'll be listening back to this uh, the whole way and that I'll say in this epicast Stellantis more than once now a few things new on the horizon before i get into today's topic um one is my good friend henry who i play golf with on weekends has a 100 series land cruiser the ultimate road router it has a pooper scooper on the roof unfortunately he's not a flat earther i'm going to get him there um you know we might drive off the edge in the cruiser one weekend we got playing golf in it but now he's fitted the ultimate oyster farmer's accessory which is a 12 volt fridge on a slide out in the back so he's got like a half, you know, half of like a bar fridge in the back that slides out, full of uh, refreshing beverages for when you might need them in between shucking a nose oyster. Now he's done very well there, but he was very excited to show me at golf the other day that he had this in the hundred series, and I was very excited to use the contents while I was um, doing, no pun intended, a bogey after a bogey. So yeah. Thank you, Henry, and your road rotary. And uh, Lisa D was quite excited about it as well. She put up a, fo- a post on Facebook saying how cool it was that Henry's got, like, a fridge in the back of his booger wagon. Excellent work. So that was really good. What else is on to? Yes, I um, you may be hearing a little bit more technical stuff from me upcoming. I know that's boring but everyone likes it when Paul and I are sitting here talking shit. And no... Paul isn't here today. He's actually doing some work for once up in the middle of Australia where he works. But I've been contracted to do a little bit of work on the new Ford Illuminator, uh, which is a driveline component that you can buy from Ford Motorsport. In effect, it's just one of the uh, power units out of a mucky Mustang. So it's 281 horse, uh, 281 horsepower. Yeah, so it's uh, it's reasonable. You get two of them together and you're starting to talk in good numbers, uh, like they do in the Mach-E Mustang. afford Ford supply it as is, and they supply a couple of harnesses with it, but they don't supply any uh, BMS control system or battery pack. So that's where we're going to come into it and do a little bit, little bit of design there, and it should be really, really good. I'll talk more about that later once I get a little bit more involved with it, but um, I need one for a project that we're doing, a Powertech tuning. So we'll talk about that. But today we're going to talk a little bit more about um, history and about where I started out, and uh, because I see it all the time, and every time I talk to someone about it, and I say, "Yeah, I, I invented that," they go, "Yeah, you're right, oh mate." And we're talking about single turbo Holden Commodores. I certainly did not invent single turbo V eight production engines. They were around a long time before me. There were people putting. Oh, I don't know all sorts of things um, Rotormasters and Triple Ks on V8s. Back when I was even a lad, you know, and, and sucking through carbies. But I remember thinking about it. So I did a bit of work with the Vortec people here in Australia, and I did, and I was up against the very, very, very early Eaton H112 supercharger top mounts that you know went on top of Commodore or LS1 engines. And uh, I remember thinking, there's got to be a better way. Now, the the Eaton units were really quite good. They had lots of low-down torque and lots of torque, but they didn't have intercooling back then. And I'm talking about circa 2000 here, 2001, 2002, 2003. In that era, intercooling wasn't something really that was looked at in in the top mount blower days. So they were pretty inefficient. They had a pretty inefficient old rotor pack, and uh, they also had uh, no intercooling. So, you know, three hundred kilowatts, three hundred and ten kilowatts at the wheels was about it, you know. And once you heat they them, more like two eighty. And then there was the the centrifugal supercharger stuff, the Vortec gear, which was really quite good, but you know, belt driven turbo looking thing. But they had their inherent problems too. Like initially, it was keeping belts on them, but the people making them sort of got that under, sort of got that under control. Um, but you know, they just they didn't have when people said a blower. You know, when the Booger Farmers wanted a blower, they were thinking of Victor Bray. They wanted to be able to hit that pedal and just erupt into, uh, you know, tyre smoke. Whereas a well-set-up Vortec, I remember even before the LS days, driving them on and tuning them on uh, VR and VS Commodores, they felt very linear. You know, you got your 300 kilowatts at the wheels on an LS, but at, you know, 3,000 RPM, it wasn't much better than a stocky. So it felt like a really linear hardcore uh, kind of LS you know as you would expect a real performance V8 to feel and yeah they were really good to drive but they they sort of lacked in that you know what what people wanted what people's concept of a supercharger was wasn't anything to increase boost via RPM you know I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them in fact if you have a look at some of the pro chargers kits and things and drag cars out with pro chargers on them now uh, they're pretty da- damn special things, and they, they they do an incredible job, you know. So, you know, th- these were fledgling days. So I thought about it, and I thought, well, why hasn't... And I was big in the JDM sort of scene at the time, working on, you know, highly turbocharged GDRs and so on. I thought, well, why hasn't anybody put a turbocharger on one of these? And, you know, when I was mucking around with GDRs, I used to use this... I used to have my Bible back then, and that was um, a book by Corky Bell called Maximum Boost. I suggest any um, little booger farmer wanting to get into turbocharging, even in this current era, go back and read some of the basics that old Corky put into uh, into the words, because everything pretty much still holds true that he wrote in that book these days, and it was, uh, you know, physics doesn't change, physics is the rule, everything else is just a suggestion, so Even though the tools that we use have changed and the turbocharger technology itself has changed, uh, the rules in Corky's book still remain very much the same. So if you don't have a copy, don't download one because that's weak. You want to be able to sit there with a pipe, slippers and glasses on, not a glass pipe, kids, like a real pipe, you know and uh, read this book and get into the get into the era in which it was written because there's some crazy old stuff about Corvairs and, you know, old shitter sort of cars in there. So, yeah, it's a great read. I, I highly recommend it. And I read it cover to cover at least five times. So I thought, why couldn't you use, you know, uh, why, why couldn't we turbocharge a V8 Commodore? Well, the first problem with that was packaging. Now, I wasn't much for, one for scavenge pump, uh, low low mount systems at the time. I became a little bit more involved in that later on. and Yeah, that, that had its advantages and uh, many disadvantages. But I had a look at the Commodore engine bay and I thought, well, there's only one place you can put a turbocharger, a single, and that's up where the airbox was. So, you know, I did have some idea back then, because so I'd been working around people that did stuff for OEMs, so I realized that room was gonna be limited and the turbochargers biggest problem when living under a bonnet was gonna be heat. So we had to size everything correctly. So we made a set of headers for the uh, left-hand side of the engine with a wastegate feed off it, external gate, and I picked quite a small turbo. It was a Garrett GD3540 with a 1.06, I reckon, turbine housing hanging off the back of it. Um, It was underdone for sure, but it had plenty of clearance, which was uh, the key. Now, to join both banks together into a common uh, merge, I used the cast header on one side, and uh, which turned out to be a great idea, and put a crossover pipe under the gap between uh, the sump and transmission. Now, you would have seen this a million times from now if you're into Commodores, Holdens, or V8s. You would have seen this a million times because everyone has copied my setup, right? I don't care who thinks they did it best or whatever. I did it first and went through all of the pain so that you could learn. So yeah, we had uh, we got it all set up, and you know all the pipework is fairly small because I was only searching for three hundred and thirty or three hundred and forty kilowatts at the wheels. So I had a local company um, make the uh, fabricate. They did a beautiful job too. The manifold and the intercooler kit, front mount like a GDR, sized, yeah, six hundred by thirty by seventy-five or whatever. 60 whatever front mount intercooler um an ebay special some nice aluminium pipe work they made all of the nice really nice looking stainless pipes and uh we put it on a car now i was very aware of the heat issues um but the first thing we did when we got it started is uh, this is a, a nice one for you i actually this was in the very early days of hp tuners i got a guy called um Chris Piastri to uh, make the two-bar operating system that you all use now in LS1s and have used over the years. I was the first person to ever beta test that, and uh, if you're a motorsport fan, you would realise that Chris is indeed Oscar's dad. So thank you, uh, Chris. I hope that operating system did well for you. It did, it did okay for us. It worked seamlessly, and it allowed us, because you know we didn't have this relationship between the throttle pedal being tied to the um, boost you know turbo are a weird beast like that it's a it's a it's a speed machine the turbo being controlled by a volume machine which is the engine so it's possible to make zero boost at full throttle at 3000 and it's possible to make full boost at full throttle at 3000 so you really need a properly mapped operating system and, and this hp tuners operating system was the gun and it was probably one of our biggest advantages at the time so i got this together and it worked We got it on the car and it just worked and i got it tuned up pretty much straight away on wastegate pressure 7 psi i reckon it made 330 334 kilowatts at the wheels on an old dyno dynamics at the time and it was smile inducing this kit it was so good it You know, had like the, all of the noises and had the dose noise and it. But most importantly, it had this rich vein of torque, like this big seam of torque that just made it so enjoyable to drive. And it was like nothing else out there. It was like nothing else. So I got the company that made the manifolds to make me a, a set of them. Um, we went out and dyno tested it and, you know, some more. And I had a couple of mates that we put test kits on and tuned them up. And it started to become a hit, this system, all over the LS1 forums at the time. And, you know, I used to spruik it pretty hard. It's worse than me spruiking my Telstra products now, Uncle Tone. And even Uncle Tone bought one of the later versions. There you go. And he buys nothing. He's tight when it comes to that sort of thing. Anyway, put a model remote control car, a clapped-out motorbike, or a busted-up Rolls in front of him. He can't get the checkbook out fast enough. But, yeah, but that's when we started to run into some problems. With the basic design and there are problems that people still haven't really wrapped their heads around now the first one is if you're going to shoot for big power right put a big turbo in there put bigger runners on it you're going to have just so many problems with underbonnet heat it's just going to be a fucking nightmare the whole thing like you know it's not unusual i've had to work on copycat systems i mean they're not copycats anymore so i got out of doing this stuff a long long time ago but yeah you know you're lucky if the leads last like two laps of the block because they're just too close to the pipes now put these heat sleeves on them and that's like a band-aid for a wound that needs stitches it just doesn't bloody work right so you know don't get sucking into that you've got to have awesome lead clearance You've got to have a tightly packed manifold, ceramic coated is probably a good idea. And then you're going to have the problem of, uh, that people don't think about, is burning the alternator to death. Always happens, particularly with the bigger pipes, because they don't heat shield the top of the alternator from the bottom of the collector properly, and it just incinerates the whole thing. And then all of a sudden we're going through alternators once a month, you know. Thankfully most of these things aren't driven that much. The worst problem, though, if you're in a drag car, it's fine. You know, you just put these big dumb pipes on it, big dumb turbo on it, wind up the boost, have a big dumb step on the throttle and fire it towards the edge of the flat earth, pick up your time card, come back and shut it off. For a daily, though, they're shitful because they don't. You have to run every single one of them in open loop because of the way you're doing the scavenging. um, You can't put both... You know, it sensors in the one dump pipe and you can't put one really in each header pipe because the just the pure physics going on between each bank of the motor are just that shit that the ls1 um, operating system there the way that he closed loop just doesn't support it and i don't care you can tell me i'm wrong if you want but you show me one working effectively and yeah that there so every single one i did for the road and i had many on my own road cars i reckon i had two or three Uh, Road Commodores with Gen T kits on them. Every single one of them had to run in open loop. So you had to spend hours mapping it to make sure it was totally, totally correct. And then, you know, across different temperatures and stuff. And you could get them all right, but they were always that little bit thirstier. You know, so, yeah. And I don't think people take as much care when tuning them now, because they're all about, as Gareth says, top-down tuning. They look at the number at the top and they worry about the bits on the way down as and when they create trouble. See, you won't see many of those Gen T systems around anymore, and it's a pity because people ruined them by using cheap eBay turbos on them, uh, PPRE, it's a bit like Stellantis of Anglevale, and then using pipes that were too big, burning bloody bonnets, burning wiring looms, burning alternators, and just all round getting the, the, the type of setup a bad name. Now it's just a system you see on Bogan skid cars normally. There are still some quick cars around with that kind of technology on them, but really there are better ways of doing it now. Um, A proper twin turbo setup, properly packaged, which is hard, not made of eBay bits with proper turbos and a proper scavenge system with the setup is so, so much better and was at the time. It was just a lot more expensive and didn't have the like, I did this factor of the Gen T single turbo. And of course, supercharger technology has moved on and the game has changed. Like, you know, your current model Harrop, you know, twenty uh, and 2650 FDFI kits. I mean, I've had a 2300 even on high pipes. thing. Makes in excess of 520 kilowatts at the hubs through a bloody uh, stock six-speed auto. Like they do it so easily now, and they're intercooled pretty well now, so to do it with, to do it with, um, uh, bloody turbochargers, and have all of the non-OEM style packaging, is just a total waste of time, you just wouldn't go there, it's just stupid, you know, just don't ever do it again, I suppose, um, so yeah, the turbo kit for the LS, apart from those guys that, gals that want to do it in their backyard at home and generally besides see them can i come to you for have you ever tuned one of these uh yeah mate normally they do a right royal job of messing it up and the thing's just a hideous piece of shit that will generally not even they don't even do the 99 percent of the time they put a turbocharger on it and don't even do the breather system properly so there's boost going straight into the sump and that always works very very well and not So yeah, they're just a mess these days and it's really, really unfortunate. So what's going to be the next big thing in the LS scene? Well, there isn't really one anymore because they stopped making the cars and the engines some time back, but I reckon now from what I've seen and the customers I speak to, that one of the biggest things that people are going to get into with LSs is restoration. I get people now coming in that want to take over the radiator inlets off, like, you know, like, horrible things they are i mean they work very well but they catch dirt and they just they don't have that oem integration you know they don't well a lot of them don't some of them do sorry for those of you that make a professional product most of them rub the bonnet liner and you know just rattle around in there and they're shit so yeah so i get a lot of people wanting to take those off now and put hsv gds 300 pipes on and go back to the good old days the way it used to be when ls's were fun so this is a short EpiCast, but this is a sound test. I reckon I've got it right. I reckon you're going to love it. Next time you hear me, it's going to be with big pole, and it's going to be clear as a bell too. So thanks for listening to Range Anxiety. If you've got any serious feedback, then send it to me to DTECH, a D-T-E-C-H, at s e n e t dot com, dot A-U. And thank you for being a fantastic fan of Stellantis.